The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Like double dog dare ya! Was that wrong? You ought to be ashamed yourself. How the hell is that Mike Florio's job? So what, no f***ing now? Rolling along here from the barn with post-draft interviews joining us now. A guy who was very busy Thursday, Friday, and Saturday because he ultimately exercised 15 picks on behalf of the Minnesota Vikings. He is Vikings general manager Rick Spielman. Rick, welcome back to the program. How are you, pal? Good. Glad to have you uh, invited into your private bar. It looks like a very enticing place to come. You are invited any time to come for real, I would hand you a beverage through the through the magic of technology if I could. But we spend a lot of time down here watching football games. Uh, th- there may have been a moment down here a few years ago when a certain touchdown catch was made. There may or may not be a photograph of that touchdown catch <laughs> hovering over one of the beams down here in the barn. But uh, let's start there um, because, you know, I, I thought it was coincidental to say the least that you used the Stephon Diggs pick on a receiver. And it reminded me of what the Vikings did a year before you got there in 2005. The pick they got from the Raiders became Troy Williamson, a top 10 pick in the 2005 draft. Did you at any point stop and think, maybe I shouldn't use the Stephon Diggs pick on a receiver? Was there, is there any like sense of jinx or the guy's going to have too much to live up to. Is there any of that that goes through your mind at that moment? No, I wasn't here in 2005, but we were following our board, and uh, he was the highest player on our board at the time. Uh, it happened to fill a need, and we think he's an excellent football player. Um, he fits well within the scheme that we're going to run, uh, excellent route runner. And the biggest thing, what we saw was that as the season progressed and when the bright lights came on through the playoffs, his game went to another level. And that rise continued as we went through the combine and all the pre-draft processes that we do. So we were very excited he was there at the 22nd pick. But still, isn't it and, – and look, I understand it's a crapshoot. And for every Laquan Treadwell, there's an Adam Thielen. But do you personally have concern about what that first round draft pick pedigree possibly can do to a receiver? It almost seems like they develop better if they don't have that hanging around them, almost like a ball and chain when they come into the NFL. I I don't look at it uh, that way whatsoever. All we're doing is I know the time and effort we put into all the evaluations from the scouts from our coaches, uh, layering in the analytics process that we do, and felt very confident this is going to be a a very productive uh, receiver for us. Is the hope that Justin Jefferson jumps right in as a starter, the starter across from Adam Thielen? Right now, we're just, I'm trying to get the best 90 players possible into uh, camp uh, when we're able to get back into camp. And then I know the coaches are very excited about 
getting their hands on these players, um, getting these young guys developed because a lot of these guys are going to be contributors for us this year, especially with some of the roster turnover that we had. Um, but from his maturity level, uh, everything from his intelligence level, his, the high character that he has and what he's shown on the field, uh, we're very excited about uh, whatever role he carves out for himself will be a productive Minnesota Viking receiver. How big of a gap was there between him and whoever your next receiver was? And I ask that because there were so many receivers in this draft. Some people would look at this and say, you don't need to use pick number 22 on a wide out. You could get a guy in round two. You could get a guy later in round one, pick number 31 if you would stay there. You could get a guy in round three. How big of a gap was there between Justin Jefferson and whoever you had next? Well, Mike, I was going to invite you to look at our draft board so you can answer that. But, you know, <laughs> fortunately, we're all stay at home. So that, won't be, that wasn't being able to be accomplished this year. But I can just tell you that we felt very strongly about getting that, uh, getting Justin in here and where we drafted him. And as we looked at our draft board, uh, I know a couple of the corners went off and then uh, we were able to trade down at our 25th pick and still get a corner that we coveted as well. So a lot of times when you're following your draft board, you're looking at the depth. Um, there, are, there is depth at receiver, but we felt there was depth at corner too. There were a couple guys we eyed there, um, but we were very fortunate to get both guys that we really targeted and were hoping to get. Yeah, you traded down from... 25 to 31 and got a cornerback there. I saw a report, a suggestion, whatever, that the Packers tried to do that deal with you guys from 30 to 25. D d is that true that there was a conversation there? I'm sure any Vikings fan would get slightly concerned to hear about a possible trade with the Packers. I, 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 we do so many phone calls and we've been very active on the trade. To be honest with you, I can't remember, <laughs> you know, who we talked to and didn't talk to. I know you know, when the 49ers wanted to come up and, and uh, we felt it was a good deal for us to move back, still be able to get the player that we wanted and pick up and accumulate some of the extra picks that we were hoping to get during the draft. Once it all started happening, the phone started ringing, the picks started being made, Rick. How different was the at-home experience for you than the normal experience in the Vikings draft room at the facility? I think, you know, from how the, the incredible job that our IT department did, I thought the NFL did an incredible job on their end and how they had everything set up from the IT and the football operations standpoint. And we had meetings for over, for about a month. Uh, and I think at the beginning of the meetings, it was a little awkward, like doing these interviews, but now they're, you know, second nature because that's how we're doing interviews uh, in today and where we're at. Um, but once we got on the draft board, we have been rehearsed it so many times, been through so many meetings that it was second nature and felt very comfortable, I think, everybody uh, as we went through the process. I'm going to go back to Stephon Diggs because we had a little fun with you at the scouting combine right before the world turned upside down, asked him to look into the camera and say we have no intent to trade Stephon Diggs. And you said Stephon Diggs is a Minnesota Viking. I mean, wh when did it actually get to the point with Diggs where you knew that this is a relationship that had to end, that this is a guy that needed to be traded. It wasn't fixable to keep him in Minnesota. I, you know, we weren't looking to trade Stefan at all. I know we just had signed him under a contract. He's a young, explosive playmaker, um, has had a lot of great years uh, that he's been here. I mean, we 
drafted him in the fifth round and has developed into one of the top receivers. But you don't know when opportunities come your way. And we felt that it was a great deal um, for Buffalo to get a player of that caliber. And we felt we got in exchange the fair amount of draft picks we would have looked for if we were going to trade him. And it ended up happening that we did trade him. Was it a factor at all for you to get him out of the conference so you don't have to see him on a regular basis? Does that come into the thinking at all when you're evaluating the offers? Well, I don't know if we would have traded him to Green Bay or Detroit or Chicago, if that's what you're asking. But it does help when you can get him into a different conference than uh, us potentially playing against him. Before you make that deal, do you talk to any of the guys on the team? Do you talk to Kirk? Do you talk to Adam Thielen? Do you get their temperature on whether or not this makes sense? Or is it something that, you know, there's a firewall there. The players play, coaches coach, administrators administer, and we're going to make the moves that we make without getting anyone's input who's actually on the field with it. No, any roster move we make, any draft pick we make, uh, that's all done from the uh, football ops standpoint. I mean, it's me communicating with the coaches. It's me communicating with the scouts. And more, more importantly, it's me communicating with our ownership so they understand what's going on. But I don't think, uh, and I, I don't want to put words into other teams' mouths, but most of the time when you're going to make roster transactions, whether it's a trade or a draft or signing someone in free agency, you may get some background from some of the players that know him. But for the most part, we're doing our job. You had some comments yesterday about running back Dalvin Cook, a second-round pick a few years back who has blossomed into one of the best running backs in the NFL. And you echoed something that we have noticed in the way that the Vikings have handled their roster. Young players who develop there get rewarded there for the most part, and your goal is to reward Dalvin Cook the way you have rewarded many others before him. How do you balance that against the possibility of giving him a contract and I don't need to name names or teams. We all know by this point the teams and the players that fall into this category, the running back position, but balancing that against a contract you're going to regret within a year or two. How do you, how do you make those two things work? You take care of him, but you also don't have a deal where you're like, God, why in the hell did we do this? Well, I think, you know, those are all our internal discussions. I mean, uh, talking with the coaching staff, talking, you know, we tie in Rob Brzezinski and how – and if we can make a contract work um, from a financial standpoint to fit within the cap, but not only this year, within the years to come. That's why we always try to cap plan two or three years out now that we have a new CBA. Um, so we, we weigh all those factors in as we make these decisions. But we also know that, you know, we, we believe in playing our, paying our own players. Um, those are the guys that we develop. We know them the best. We know what they are from a work ethic standpoint. We know what type of players they are. But we also know how much they mean out to our community and how involved they are. And, and Dalvin checks all those boxes. He's a, he's, a, he's a very good football player, but he's even a better human being. So we take the whole picture in. And like I said, our philosophy and history has been developing. Hopefully we're drafting well enough and – we have to, to give long-term extensions to the guys that have come in and helped us win ball games and then fit everything that we're looking for to build our culture. You know, it's funny. I remember when he was drafted, Rick, back in 2017, there was this vague sense of off-field concerns. It contributed to him sliding out of round one. There's never been a peep. There's never been an issue. He's been nothing but a model citizen 
in three NFL seasons. There'd be plenty of things he could have been frustrated about and acted out about with the injury issues. No, he's been off the charts, you know, and those are things that are that you do a lot of background work on. We've always have done that. I remember the call I made to him that uh, Friday morning before we drafted him and moved up to go get him and how impressive he was and just me and him talking one-on-one before the draft started that day. And, uh, you know, just talking to some of the sources that I know that have been around him, we felt very confident in taking him, not because he was a great player, but because what he stood for uh, as a human being. And all those things and all the resources and all the research that we've done on him came true. And he's one of the leaders in the community. He's always out in front. He's always contributing. Uh, in different ways. I know, um, you know, I just did another thing with COVID-19 and and how he's sacrificing some of his monies. So he's, that just tells you what kind of character and person that we did enough research on to feel very confident that that's what he was going to turn out to be. And that's what he was and has been. You you mentioned the COVID-19 pandemic and you said a couple of minutes ago that you look at salary cap planning several years into the future. When we consider what may happen later this year, there may be a season with no fans in the stands and there would be a dramatic hit to the revenue as a result of that. How do you plan for a salary cap in 2021 when the revenues in 2020 could dramatically affect what is available to you for spending purposes next year? Yeah, it's hard to, to do. Right now, we are um, just, we planned as everything was going to be normal. Uh, we don't know where everything's going to be uh, when that time comes. I don't know where the salary cap will be if all the revenue cap doesn't come in. So you try to do your best. You try to understand potentially what can happen, but it's just hard to predict. It was even like getting through this draft where we're going to be able to get in our building and then that changed. Where we're going to do something from a, a remote location and that changed. And then we adapted and we were able to uh, function from each other, you know, our individual homes, which turned out great. So part of this job is being flexible and being able to adjust and move and come up with uh, different ways to look at things, especially when you can't control the adversity that may be ahead. What kind of information are you currently getting from the league office as to what is to come, whether it's getting any of the offseason program in, getting training camp started on time, getting the season started on time. Are you getting any guidance or are you in the same situation the rest of us are? We're just sitting and waiting. We're just right now worried about what we can control today. And what we can control today is what we're doing in our virtual off-season program, which kicked off this week and has been uh, been very successful. Uh, we got a virtual rookie mini camp coming up next weekend. So all we can do now is control what we can control and uh, make sure we're doing the best we can in those circumstances. And then we'll keep adjusting as things keep changing. But it thing. It seems like things change almost on a daily basis. So what you can worry about is control what you can control, and that's all you, you need to worry about. And you're not doing virtual workouts. You're just doing the virtual off-season meetings. What went into the decision to not have a workout component for the guys who are at home? Well, we, we're, we've done what we've done. Like if we were in the, um, with, with a dark, the dark period, um, you know, our players can call our strength coach to ask for advice, but we're not actually coaching them out there. 
we felt the most beneficial thing for us to do is hone in and make sure we're working on the classroom work right now. Isn't it going to be, though, a, a supreme challenge? And you were there in 2011 when there was no off-season program. Coach Zimmer was in Cincinnati, I think, at the time. But how do you get all these guys ready? How do you make good decisions about who makes the team, who doesn't make the team? If we're talking about training camp and training camp only, maybe not a full preseason, maybe no preseason games, who knows? Whatever it is that is still to be determined, it's going to be – difficult from my perspective to figure out what you do with these 15 draft picks and your undrafted players. They're going to have limited opportunities as best I can tell to prove that they belong. Well, once we get them back in the building and whenever that is, I know coach Zim, the staff has actually put in a lot of plans in place on how do we get these guys developed as quickly as we can. And no one knows what the rules are going to be going forward. Um, do we have an acclimation period first to get them adjusted and then get into training camp? Uh, but there's so many unknowns, but we have to be prepared, just like I'm sure every other team is, is once we get our hands, especially on these young guys, what is going to be the program to accelerate these guys developing? And I know our coaching staff has already uh, talked through that. Now, I know what we can control is how much time we can spend in the classroom with them, making sure that they uh, – understand and start to get the playbook down. So when they do come in, hopefully we'll be off and running from that standpoint. And I talked to each one of our draft picks over the last three days, doing virtual meetings individually with them, telling them how important it is for now to stay in shape, um, but to get down this offense, get down the defensive scheme, the special teams, and what you're going to be asked to do when you come in. And then when you get in, uh, just be ready to go. And that's, that's the only thing we can do right now. Everson Griffin's still floating around out there in free agency. Is the door still open for him to potentially return? Uh, I, you know, it's, it's hard to say right now where everything is at and where we're at, uh, you know, until, you know, things become more normalized. You know, I'll, I'll never say never on a player. Uh, I know it'd be very hard from a, a salary cap standpoint. Uh, it, you know, I don't want to get into any of the business side of it, but um you know, right now I know where our roster is, but, you know, your roster never is set, even with guys getting cut. Uh, guys did not get, uh, you know, are now not tendered as uh, unrestricted free agents, um, guys that are on the street. So I know our pro department and uh, George Payton and them, we're working through, you know, guys on how we can continue to build this roster. So in general terms, you know, we're trying to conduct business as normal as we can on trying to bring guys in here that could potentially help us. One thing you have in common with the Green Bay Packers, both team seasons ended against the 49ers in Santa Clara in the postseason. And based upon what the Packers have done in the offseason and specifically in the draft, I get the sense that their approach is if you can't beat them, join them when it relates to that power running game that can dominate a defense, control the clock, score points, win game. That's the Packers' plan to get to the next level. What is and what would you say your plan is to try to take the current Vikings roster and get past a team like the 49ers, get past the Packers, get to the Super Bowl? You know, that's what our coaches did all this offseason is went back and self-scout, self-evaluate. How do we tweak our systems here or there? I think the one benefit we have, and especially with our quarterback, is he's going to be in the same system for the second year in a row. And we do have a lot of really good weapons on the offensive side, still with Adam Thielen, with our tight ends. 
uh, and Irv Smith, who I think is going to be an outstanding player. Uh, we have the running backs. We were able to get Ezra Cleveland into the fold here on our offensive line, and we feel we have some really good young offensive linemen and some of the guys we drafted last year uh, that maybe didn't get a chance but are going to have to step up and compete. And then to add a Jefferson, uh, we do think we have a lot of weapons. And then Kubiak taking over as the full-time offensive coordinator and some of the wrinkles he's going to put into the system as well. So it's great to have such an experienced staff like that um, to go ahead and, and tweak some things to hopefully get us to the next level. You know, <clears throat> I know on the defensive side of the ball, we've had a lot of turnover from a personnel standpoint, but uh, and a lot of our guys that we did draft were on the defensive side as well, and there's going to be a lot of new secondary and some new defensive linemen. But if you look at the core of our defense, we still have two very good safeties under contract. We franchise Anthony Harris. I think we have two of the best linebacker tandems in the league with Anthony Barr and Eric Kendricks. Uh, Daniel Hunter, uh, we know we were able to sign Mike Pierce when uh, Linville Joseph went on uh, to replace him. So we think we have a lot of core pieces in place. And with the addition of these young guys, as we kind of evolve that defensive side a little bit, that we're going to have a great year coming up. And I almost feel like, Rick, the defense needed a kick in the ass. That it had been that same group for so long that maybe there was a sense of complacency. I don't know. That may not be fair. But from an outsider's perspective, it just kind of felt like the defense got to a level and then was just kind of maybe treading water. And when you bring in fresh young talent, when you bring in new mindsets like Don Capers being involved in the coaching staff, a guy who has a 3-4 background, I just feel like one of the things that Coach Zimmer's trying to do is, is really, really put his shoe in the rear end of the defense and shake things up and, and get it back to where it was not that long ago. Yeah, we were very fortunate. I think for six years, we almost had the same defensive group all together, which is an eternity in the NFL. Um, but eventually, those old guys get older and you have some contract issues and some business decisions that you have to make. So I know, you know, with the challenges of head on, on some of the turnover on the personnel side, especially on the defense, I know how excited Coach Zimmer is. Uh, you know, some of the new additions, because we had some turnover on a defensive staff as well, uh, with two new co-coordinators with Dom Capers, uh, Durante Jones coming in as our DB coach. Uh, there's a whole new sense of urgency, and there's going to be a lot of new faces, and it does give you that, that energy, um, and, and people are chomping at the bit to uh, get going. Hey, last one before I let you go. I saw recently that Percy Harvin wants to make a comeback. Can you say we have no intent to sign Percy Harvin? We have no intent to sign Percy Harvin. <laughs> Thank you, Rick. Perfect. Congratulations on a very busy and hectic draft. And uh, we wish you all the best as the offseason goes forward. And we all hope and pray that there will be a season that gets started in Minnesota and elsewhere throughout the league. Thanks for some of your time. We'll talk soon. Yeah, no, my new uh, lifetime checklist is to come down to that bar and have a cold beverage with you someday. Anytime, anytime. <laughs> Oregon Town's a half hour away. The next time you're scouting... West Virginia University swing by and uh, we'll have a few drinks and then you won't be able to you won't be able to drive back we'll have to get you a driver <laughs> looks like the palatial palace you live in there's another spare bedroom somewhere I can sleep we, we can we can find something we, we got we got some pots floating around we'll take care of it we have tents <laughs> all thanks. right thanks Rick see you buddy the longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards the longest field goal ever missed also 76 yards 
Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. PFTPM from the Barn continues now with Jets head coach Adam Gase, like everyone else, been working from home and kind enough to give us some time in the aftermath. Draft coach Gase, how's it going? Good. How are you doing? I'm doing good. What's been the biggest adjustment for you since the world turned upside down? I just, just con- uh, same as everybody else, contact with people. You know, it's just kind of weird seeing, you know, your players over the, over online, being online compared to, you know, actually seeing in person, having, having conversations, you know, face to face. And there's something to be said for the presence that a coach has in a meeting room. And I, I know that's going to be impossible to duplicate when you're doing these sessions via video conference. You're one of the teams that started this week with the virtual off-season training program. How has that been for you several days in, getting the messages across to these guys when you're not in a position to physically grab them by the collar if, if needed? I, it's, it's been good. I think guys have been excited to just do something different because it's not groundhog day for them. It's, you know, every day's we're getting to talk about something else. We can watch different, you know, every group is watching something different, you know, in aspects of, of film. Um, it's, it's been fun for me because I can bounce around from meeting room to meeting room and, you know, just kind of see the guys and kind of talk a little bit and, and see how everybody's doing. And that's been a fun aspect of it. And, you know, you feel like you have, you actually have some access, you know, you can, you can kind of split up your time, offense, defense, you know, individual meetings. You, you don't have to, everybody's not going all at once. So I hadn't thought about that. You've got meeting rooms, what, by position group, and then you can just swoop into right. any of them anytime you want. Right. We, we got a, we got a window where, you know, these guys got a couple hours to get, get their meetings done. So, you know, we, we tried to stagger them because we had, we do have some guys on the West coast, you know, majority of our guys are on the, you know, on the East coast. So that, that kind of helps in certain positions, but, you know, obviously our quarterback room, we got, you know, two out of two out of the three that are under contract are on the, on the West coast. So we're, we're trying to get him up bright and early. I'm sure he's, he's loving that when, you know, we try to kick it off right away when he gets up. What time are you dragging him out of bed? Uh, he, he don't have to start to eight. So it's not too bad, but so if I was, if I was 23 years old, I'd probably want to see him. <laughs> One of the, uh, oh, trust me, I got a 23-year-old living with me. And the argument that I get when I say, why are you sleeping until 5 p.m.? The response is, there's no reason to get up. (laughs) (laughs) He's right. Um, The uh, the virtual off-season program for the Jets, like plenty of teams, no workout component. It seems like maybe six, seven teams are doing the workouts. What was the thought process for not including a workout? We we just felt like as an organization, it was the best. You know, we we have – huge discussion about this we were trying to figure out what was the best thing for us to do we felt like that was the best thing for us to do we'd focus on you know the mental aspect of it we talked to a lot of guys about really kind of you know what they were doing and what they had access to so we just felt like you know with so much unknown we felt like this was the best thing for us to do uh let's go back to the draft and before we do that i mean from your perspective working at home i mean it's one thing to not have direct access to your players but there is something to be said for a little quiet 
a little solitude, being out of that pace that you can find yourself in when you're the head coach, when you got people asking you questions all day long, it's hard to get into a rhythm. It's hard to get into a routine. There has to be some benefit to being able to find a quiet spot in your house and just grind and grind and grind, especially when you're watching film before the draft or whatever the case may be. It was definitely beneficial draft wise. I I think there was, you know, a lot of guys, you know, position coaches, including coordinators and and guys and personnel were able to, you know, whatever they didn't have finished. Cause I know, you know, a lot of guys probably were a little ahead of schedule and, you know, once it kind of, everything started slowing down and everybody got shipped out to their houses, we were just all focused on the same thing, just really digging deep into these, you know, the, the draft stuff. And, you know, you're right. It's really, if you're going to contact somebody there, you, you had a good reason to call somebody or FaceTime somebody or try to get on a Microsoft Teams or Zoom kind of sessions, but there had to be good reason. It wasn't just kind of swinging by, you know, someone's office just to sit out and BS for a little bit. Like there was a reason behind it. So I think there was a lot of guys that probably took advantage of that time of, you know, uninterrupted work, you know, outside of, you know, if you had kids and things like that, like, like I have three kids, you know, under 10. So, you know, finding quiet time, it it was some days were better than others. You know, and nobody knows how the world is going to look and feel when it goes back to whatever normal is when all of this ends. Do you think things that you learned by necessity through this process are going to be incorporated in the way that your team, other teams may do business? Will there be one day a week where everybody works from home so they can slam the door and focus on their work and maybe have a Zoom meeting in the middle of the afternoon, but otherwise everybody has a chance to kind of squirrel away and get work done? You know, it's it's interesting because that that is a conversation that Joe and, and you know, Joe Douglas and, and Jaime, our, our team president and myself, we've had conversations about what can we take out of this, you know, that may lend itself to next year. And, you know, whether it is kind of how we do some of these interactive meetings we did with college players, we felt like those were very, inter, you know, beneficial for us. And where well, you're at the combine, your position coach is talking to a guy and he talks to him for 15 minutes. And, you know, it was just him and the position coach where the, you know, the interviews we were doing online with our, the players in college, you know, with this, the internet access was you would have all your scouts and personnel guys and coordinators and co- there were so many people were able to listen to one conversation and it was very beneficial because we were all getting that. It wasn't hearsay. We were all sitting there listening to ourselves and we're able to ask questions we wanted to ask. And I, I do think there is some benefit that's going to come out of this. And it's just really like, we're just trying to keep good notes and just, Hey, what are the things that we like? How do we think the draft meetings went? You know, what, what benefited, you know, us in that whole aspect of it. There was a lot of good things that came out of that. Yeah, I mean, I know it's, it's uh, great to get guys in person, but to the extent you can cast a wider net, have more people involved, save some money. I mean, let's face it. It's a lot cheaper when you're not flying guys in or flying your guys to them there are some benefits there, and I have a feeling teams are going to look at that and see how, how can we all improve our procedures in the aftermath of this event. All right, let's go to the draft. You were in a spot where you had a high pick, but it was low enough that it had to drive you crazy because when you're waiting for 10 other teams to pick, I mean, I don't know how much you work through all the permutations, but you got a lot of different combinations of ways the names can come off the board. How prepared were you for all the different ways that those first 10 names could have been announced and then you figure out what's going to be left for you. 
Joe did a good job of going through so many different scenarios, whether it be us sticking at the pick we were at, trading back, trading up, just any anything that could come about, you know, just, hey, what, what would we do in this situation? It, it almost felt like we were getting ready for a game, the situations that he was kind of throwing at us. And, and the con- we were just constantly having these meetings, and, and he did such a good job of, of just having us ready to go. And then if we were there and, and – you know, one of the players that we said, hey, we're staying here and we're not going to move was there and, and we take him. And obviously we, we were in that position for us where, you know, a guy that we were really fired up about, you know, basically coming to 11 to us, we we were able to stay there and take the guy we wanted. Um, I feel like I've been in this situation a couple of times. I think almost three of the five drafts, it's been 11 or 13. So, I mean, you're, it, you feel like you're in no man's land. You know, you're, you're always hoping for you know, one of those guys, you know, when you have a block of three or four guys that you think might come to you, you know, you're hoping one of those guys are there. How active were you in potentially trading up higher to get uh, Becton or whoever else you may have wanted? You know, I don't, I don't think it was all, there was a whole bunch going on because I do think we had, you know, it was kind of coming to us. I think it was more situationally we, when we were talking about it before the draft. I don't, I don't remember that really coming up, you know, ahead and you know, as the draft was going on. Plus, it was hard to hear with my kids. We're, we're talking nonstop. And <laughs> my, my son must have asked me 400 times, who are we picking, who are we picking? I'm like, be quiet. I need to listen. <laughs> uh, so they were in there with you. I saw pictures and images on TV of them, but they, they were there the whole time? Uh, they, they were popping in quite a bit. My 10-year-old my or my 8-year-old son, he, he was really active and popping his head in there to make sure that he, he was on – on board with what we were doing you know I think the the, the best look I got was when, when we drafted uh when I said we just drafted a punter and he looked at me and he just shook his head and walked out of the room I was like oh hey we we don't have one right now buddy like we we gotta go we gotta get one so it was uh it was a fun 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 draft to be a part of yeah I wonder where he got that attitude about punters from if, if uh, maybe he lives with a head coach who may have may have said something in the past I don't, about I don't, I don't remember ever saying anything here's the thing though because I was going to ask you this later, but I may as well ask you now. When you use a draft pick on a punter, there are going to be people who say, why the hell would you do that? You can get a punter anywhere. They're falling off of the trees. What is it that caused you, and, and I know you're working with Joe Douglas on this, but what caused the Jets to ultimately say, we're going to use this sixth-round pick on a punter? You know, it, it's, it does get a little competitive. when you If you, if you dip into college free agency, part of that, it, it starts to get competitive. We didn't have a seventh-round draft pick at that time. Um, we felt like that was that was a, a good good move for us and and to be able to to create that competition we needed to with, with you know on our roster in that spot we, we know that's an important you know specialist in, in our division are very important obviously new england's done a really good job of making sure they always have good specialists whether it be in, in you know you know as far as field goal kicking or punting they're always causing all kinds of problems and it's you know, you have to make sure in this division that you do have good specialists because you're playing in Buffalo, you're playing in New England, you're playing in New York. Now all of a sudden you're in Miami. There's there's a lot of bad weather you got to deal with, and you have to have guys you can rely on. Um, back to Becton. You know, it bothered me that uh, word got out of the drug test issue at the scouting combine. We're not supposed to know about that. The teams know about it. From your perspective, though, especially with the new CBA, was that a factor at all? in your assessment of the player? I think we, I think we look at everything, you know, any kind of information that we get that that was the thing I think I was really impressed with how deep Joe dug into everything with him, you know, the guys that he talked to, I mean, who knows how many 
coaches that he's talked to. I don't know if he went all the way back to peewee football or what, but I mean, he, he knew the ins and outs of, of his life. It, it was really impressive to see how far that he was digging with those, especially those top guys. What is it to get you excited about Becton as a player? He's a, he's a large man and, and he is, he is violent. He's physical. He's nasty. And it's, it's everything that you look for in offensive lineman. When you look for a guy that, you know, putting on the ground is not good enough. You know, just being around this guy, when he walks in a room, you feel his presence. He, he's a large man when he walks in the room. He blocks the sun for sure. Yeah, you should have used uh, the sixth-round pick not on a punter but on his dad. I mean, this, it's not a small family. Yeah. Dad, dad, dad stood out when they cut to the camera at the Beckton household. So you see where Makai got it from. Um, let's move on to round two because receiver was obviously a, a big need for the Jets. Denzel Mims taken in round two and, and in a draft with so many receivers and so many guys you could have waited to get in later rounds. What was it that, that caused the Jets to pull the trigger in that spot on a receiver? Yeah, I think it was just, it was the right spot. You know, we, you know, we were kind of watching how everything was moving around and I know, you know, Joe did a good job of trading back and creating, you know, some more draft capital for us. And, you know, we, we were just, I'm not sure if we were really willing to wait much longer. You know, we, we were we were keeping an eye on him, and, and he slid a little bit, and we were fired up when we were able to pick him. I know he, he was – I think he was a little surprised he, he lasted that long. And, you know, even us, we you know, you're looking at it, and you're not always thinking that, you know, some of these talented guys are going to last as long as they do because you never – everybody's got a different flavor that, that they like as far as receivers go. And, you know, for him to fall, fall to us at that spot – you know, we were all excited about it. We're, we're fired up to get him in the building, whatever that's going to be, and, and see how we can help him improve. And you guys were the last team to not draft a receiver at the top of the process. The Raiders took Henry Ruggs III right after you took Becton. How tempting was it to when you have your pick of any receiver and you clearly have a need with Robbie Anderson gone and you're trying to help Sam Darnold, how tempting is it to not just say, hey, we can get any receiver we want. This is our top guy. Let's go get him. That, that's what happens when you got a GM that's a former offensive lineman. <laughs> that battle. Uh, we, you know, we talked about it so much as, as far as, and, and I, you know, we joke about it all the time of how, how I'm always going to be leaning towards the skill guys and, and him being a former offensive lineman, he's always going to be leaning towards the bigger guys and, or as he calls them, the real skilled guys. So I was, uh, you know, we, we had the discussion way before we ever got to that point. So if, if we did get to that situation where, where it was, we were at 11 and, and, and Becton was there and the receivers were still there, we knew who we were going to pick. And that's, we pulled the trigger on the guy that we knew we were going to pick. How hard is it, though, to stick to what you've previously decided when it's all happening? And it's you got to put yourself, it's just like anything else. You just got to put yourself in the, in the mindset of, the, hey, this is our game plan. And when we decide this is what we're doing, then we're all on board on this. Um. The uh, safety position was addressed in round three. And of course, when I saw that, I thought of Jamal Adams. And no one can really get a firm grip as to where things currently stand between the Jets and Jamal Adams as he enters year four of his career. What is the current relationship? Where, where is it right now between the Jets and Jamal Adams? You know, it, it's hard. I'm not involved in any contract talks, which the, is, is kind of the one nice thing about when Technically, you don't, you're not 53 and you can, you can kind of, you know, worry about your relationship with your players and focus on those type of things. And, you know, the front office has to, has to focus on a lot of the contract issues and things like that. And, you know, 
I try to do everything I can to, 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 to support Jamal. And then at the same time, you know, make sure that I'm doing everything I can to help Joe and, and the organization, you know, and what they need to get done as well and, and managing this in, you know, the big picture of everything. So, you know, for me, it's, it's, I haven't, I haven't had that discussion with Jamal, you know, it's just something that, you know, when it's a time and place that I need to get involved in, then I'll, I'll do everything I can to help. But as of right now, you know, the contract stuff, it's, we're, I'm, I'm so far removed from that as at the moment because I'm focused on the offseason program. Quarterback James Morgan was a fascinating pick in round four in part because he's a guy the Patriots were sniffing around pretty heavily. What is it that stood out to you about him? You know, I think he's a guy that has the, the traits that we're always looking for in a quarterback. He has, you know, the football kind of the passion and the hunger for football. The football IQ is definitely there. You know, it just seemed like it was the right right guy for us. and. You know, I, I, we had those, we had multiple fourth round picks and kind of the way it was going, he, he was, you know, the highest guy on our board and, and, you know, he was a guy that we were extremely interested in. And when we had the opportunity to take him, that's what we decided to do. And I felt like I was, I was excited. Dow was excited. Joe was excited. The personnel guys were all fired up. So, you know, he was, he just fit what we were looking for. How hard is it, though, when you consider he played at a lower level of competition? How hard is it to take what he did, watch his film, and project how that is going to work when he's jumping all the way to the NFL level versus where he was in college? Yeah, I mean, you've seen it before with, with multiple guys that have ended up being really good players in this league. I think really it's at the end of the day, sometimes the hardest thing is to project what their mental is going to be like. How are they going to be in the locker room? How are they going to be seeing things when they change? You know, how, how do they process things? You know, those type of things we've, that we felt really strongly about that. We did, we felt really good about his skill set. You know, I mean, I, I get it. Like people look at sometimes and say FIU and they're not really sure. And, but, you know, we feel like his skill set was exactly what we were looking for. And then his ability to process and learn and do all those things that you have to do as a, as a quarterback in the NFL, we definitely felt like it was there. How much harder does that become then when you finally get on the field, whenever it may be, if there's no off season program training camp, maybe gets delayed or gets truncated or whatever the case may be. How do you give this guy enough opportunities to develop to the point where it's justified giving him one of the 53 roster spots? Yeah, it's the, the toughest thing right now for really every team in this league is going to be the fact that we don't have an offseason. And it's going to be thrown all of a sudden, could it be training camp? Or is it going to even be a shorter time then of just really trying to evaluate and see where everybody is? But the, the, the thing is, is we're all in the same boat, you know, and we just got to find a way to expedite the process. That was one of the things that I think makes him extremely valuable is his ability to process, to learn, how intelligent he is, his love for the game, trying to get better all the time. And you know, we get on the field, we got to just kind of see where, where we're at at that time and see what we need to improve. And I agree with you. Before I let you go, this concept of every team's in the same boat. And you're right. The rules are the same for everyone. If one facility's closed, they're all closed. No off-season program for one team, no off-season program for any team. But I don't get the impression anybody really knows where the boat's going. What kind of information are you getting from the league as to where this all is leading? Or are you just in the same spot I'm in, the fans are in, the media's in, where we're just like, well, we just take it one day at a time. It is Groundhog Day from that perspective, and we wait for further instruction as to when in the hell things are going to get started. That's we're all in the same boat. We're on the same boat, and 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 that's how I've been taking it. I know a lot of people I've been in, in contact with; they've been taking it the same way is one day at a time. And really, that's all we can do right now. If we try to predict what's going to happen two weeks from now, I mean, you're just 
you're creating your own anxiety. You're, you're worrying about things you can't control. Cause this is, this is definitely something that none of us can control right now. You know, we're at the mercy of really kind of time and, and what we're told we can and can't do. So, I mean, we're, we're just extremely focused on just a one day at a time mentality. It's in, you know, for our players to, to embrace that right now, is going to hopefully help us in the long run. And, you know, I hadn't thought about this until just now, but from your perspective, look, we don't know what, what shape the season's going to take, but it's not unreasonable to assume that the stadiums will be either empty or sparsely attended because you can't fill it up like you ordinarily would. How much are you planning for getting your guys ready to go out and play before a home crowd when there is no home crowd? Because it's got to be a different mindset from the standpoint of getting guys fired up when they know when they run out that tunnel, there's not going to be anybody there to externally get them in the right frame of mind to go play. Yeah, I think I look at it like this. One, it's, it's, it's hard for me to even think that far ahead right now. That, that is definitely something that if I get to that point, I'm going to be excited that we're even talking about that at that point, considering like we were talking before this, the last time I left my house was March 25th or whatever it's been. Like, I don't, I don't even know like what our days are anymore. You know, I'm always asking what day of the week is it? So if we're talking about that, I'll be excited. I will say this, if it does come to a situation where you don't have fans in the stands or it's limited amount, the, the good thing is when you're playing another team and th these guys being the professional athletes they are, you, you watch some of those practices that you, you'll see when, when it's, you know, the joint practices, it's intense because the, these guys, they are professional. They are very prideful. There, there is that, that team camaraderie of competition you know, that's real. I mean, we have to do it a lot in practice where there's nobody out there and it's just the coaches and the players and there's competition there. Um, at the end of the day, though, we're, we're so far from that right now that it's, it's hard to even think about. It's really about, hey, what, what can we do today to get better? And that's what we're doing with those virtual classroom sessions. And then, you know, now it's, hey, let's set up next week. What are we going to do next week that, you know, to help our team get better? Well, we'll let you get back to it, Coach. Enjoy the time with your family, and we'll all keep going forward one day at a time, Groundhog Day after Groundhog Day. One day at a time, you know, man. When it's time to play football. All right, pal, great talking to you. Good talking to you. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed, also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand.